Welcome to John Cam Remembers, Encounters with China. In 1979, more than 40 years ago, United States and China granted diplomatic relations to each other. The same year, the two countries granted each other most favored nation status and signed the Scientific and Technological Cooperation Agreement. MFN, now known as Permanent Normal Trade Relations, and the Scientific and Technological Cooperation Agreement form the foundation of the relationship between the two countries. Now, as relations between China and the United States plummet to their worst level since 1979, both most favored nation and the Scientific and Technological Cooperation Agreement are in jeopardy. The Science and Technology Cooperation Agreement was due to expire on August the 27th, 2023. However, on August the 24th, 2023, the Biden administration extended it six months. It is now due to expire at the end of February 2024. Meanwhile, members of Congress in both the House of Representatives and the Senate have introduced bills to revoke China's most favored nation. I testified at the first hearing on MFN in May 1990, arguing against revoking MFN for the sake of Hong Kong, then a bastion of democracy and respect for human rights. Helping me were Mr. Hal Furman and Mr. Jeff Muir. They are with me today. Hal Furman established the Furman Group in 1992. He is the co-founder and chairman of the Furman Group. He was Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Interior during the Reagan administration, and he ran for the Senate in 1994, narrowly losing to the incumbent. Jeff Muir is the CEO of the EMB Citrus Company Hong Kong, founded in 2006. He oversees all operations of the Hong Kong office and two operating companies in China. He has worked for major companies with China interests. In 1998, Jeff was chairman of the American Chamber of Commerce in Hong Kong. Now, a week before I went to Washington to testify, there was a banquet with a senior Chinese official in Hong Kong, name of Joe Nan, formerly a uh, vice minister of foreign affairs. During that uh, dinner, I brought up a prisoner's name. And of course, Minister Joe was furious. But uh, he did say he would look into it, which he did, and the prisoner was released. Now, Jeff, you were there. What was the reaction of the uh, business leaders who were present? Well, John, uh, when you got up shortly thereafter to go to the bathroom, the comments started to come. I think it's fair to say that they were pretty shocked, a lot of them, and some of them quite annoyed. There was the head of a major U.S. oil company who apologized to Mr. Joe for Mr. Cam's impertinence. That was part of a larger disquiet with your human rights work within the chamber. There were people in the chamber that felt that international business should never get involved in domestic politics of, of a trading country. And there were people, as I say, didn't like that. A senior executive at American bank, a very large American bank, threatened to leave the chamber over this. He never did, but he made the threat. So uh, I... Uh... Get on a plane, and I arrive in Washington a couple of days before the testimony. At that time, with your assistance, 
we were meeting with people. And one of the meetings was with uh, Senator Mathias. And he advised me, whatever you do, Mr. Cam, do not challenge a member of Congress. You are to be deferential. Coming from Hong Kong, you understand the importance of face, and you never, ever make a member of Congress lose face. Well, when it came time for me to be testifying, both in the House and in the Senate, I, uh, I threw that overboard. I was not deferential, most certainly not deferential to Nancy Pelosi. Do you think that these clashes uh, between Pelosi and uh, Senator Benson, on the other hand, hurt or did they help? You know, John, in those days, the conventional wisdom was exactly what former Senator Mathias said, that a witness at a congressional hearing should never antagonize one of the uh, august members of the House or the Senate. Now, more than 30 years later, that wisdom has been turned on its head. When you push back against uh, both Nancy Pelosi and Senator Benson, it was a highly unusual but it was also highly effective. I think that it uh, caused people to pay attention. And it also was a clear indicator you weren't going to be pushed around and that you felt deeply about these issues. And to borrow a Chinese phrase, you weren't going to kowtow in the face of what in some cases was uh, just unfair questioning your integrity and ethics in some cases. In the Senate Finance Committee, Lloyd Benson uh, challenged me and he said, uh, Mr. Cam, do you work for a company that would be hurt if we take MFN away from China? And, and I rather glibly said, well, Mr. Chairman, all companies would be hurt. And he straightened me out. He said, I didn't ask you that. Who do you work for? Would you be hurt? And of course, I answered him by saying I work for a Texas company that a number of our workers on the Houston uh, Ship Canal would lose their jobs. That was not quite the answer he wanted to hear. You know, enough looking at the past. Let's look at the present and the, uh, the future. Oh, by the way, before I get there, I want to make a point. People in Washington rarely refer to MFN. They call it PNTR. In 1998, Congress changed the name of MFN to normal trade relations, and thereafter, they stuck permanent in front of it, so permanent NTR. There were a couple of reasons for this, I guess. There are other tariff statuses which are more favorable than MFN, uh, GSP, for instance. Uh, another reason is, frankly, uh, it is easier to defend MFN, if you will, by calling it normal trade relations. So I, I wanted to make that clear because I think for every other country in the world to whom we have granted MFN, we still talk about MFN. But with China, we talk about PNTR. In January of 1979, we uh, normalized relations with China. We granted each other uh, diplomatic relations. We also granted China most favored nation and also something called the Scientific and Technical Agreement. Well, now, both are in jeopardy. Scientific and technical agreement must be renewed every five years 
of course, MFN is under jeopardy, along with other things. My question to you both, and we'll start with Jeff. Jeff, is this what decoupling looks like? It would be a profound decoupling if we uh, rescinded MFN. Frankly, it'd be a declaration of economic war against China. And I think that those people who are urging this idea are focusing on the damage it would do to China. I would say that we should also be very cautious as to the damage that it could do the United States. We may find our access to rare earths become much more difficult. We may find access to products as people aren't importing shortages. And in an era of inflation, this might be a bump up to inflation. So I see it as a very blunt and politically satisfying position. But I, I, I really question whether it's a good idea. Al, what about you? Are we decoupling from China? I think we are. How strong that decoupling will be is uh, yet to be revealed. I think if you look at the debates going on within Congress, if you look at the debates going on amongst the Republican presidential candidates, there is a growing consensus that, uh, that a decoupling is needed uh, without getting into uh, the very valid points that that Jeff just raised, I'm just looking at it from a domestic political uh, point of view. I wouldn't disagree, Hal. I think the domestic political environment favors it happening. During an election year, it would also be a, a key consideration. I remember back then in 1990, the uh, opinion was among largely uh, the human rights community and some uh, members of Congress that uh, if we revoked MFN, then China would collapse. Ironically, there's a bit of that going on now. You may be aware that foreign direct investment in China has plummeted. Exports to the United States are already down 25% in the first six months. And an incredible statistic, I think it was the first quarter of 2023, 52,000 foreigners went to China. Four years ago, that was 3.7 million people. So look, China's economy is in big trouble right now. If we take MFN away, it will hurt uh, China at this particular time. Without a doubt, China would be hurt. Uh, it, whether it collapses is another issue, but it would be yeah. very badly hurt. You know, recently, according to Pew, China's favorability rating is under 20%. Why is China so unpopular now in the United States? What are the reasons? Well, I think it's a combination of things, but in the most recent past, it's certainly driven by COVID. The American people largely believe that, that COVID not only came from China, but it came out of a lab in Wuhan, China. That's a big factor. Human rights are a big factor. The persecution of the Uyghurs are a big factor. And I think maybe overarching all of that is China's bellicose attitude with respect to the Western Pacific and uh, its uh, attempts to impose itself uh, on um, the entirety of the Western Pacific and its bellicose statements with respect to uh, Taiwan. Yeah, Americans are, are generally distrustful of large communist nations, and uh, they've done, it seems to me, everything they can in the last 10 years to feed into that. And Jeff, operating in China right now is very difficult. 
I think the comments that Hal made on the reasons for the deterioration of the relationship are spot on, uh, particularly the militarization of the South China Sea, which I think was very unfortunate and broke a promise that yes. Xi Jinping had made to Barack Obama. That yes. was a pretty important promise that I think undermined a great deal of trust, whatever trust there was at that point. I think the business community is in a much more difficult position now to argue on MFN. There are a couple of things that were brought up on MFN early on in 1979, when we perceived China not to be a big threat. It was sort of the junior, little, we're helping them along sort of concept. By about the financial crisis of 2008, our attitude about that had changed quite a bit. And I think feeling the threat of China was much, much more in our mind. But the business community, prior to all of this, argued MFN would encourage economic engagement, China would become a better place. We used to call it peaceful evolution, that China would evolve in a, in a better direction. And as you brought up the point very much, rescinding of MFN at that point would have been devastating for Hong Kong. Fast forward to today, uh, the argument that engagement is going to make them a, a gentler, nicer, peaceful evolution has not proven to be the case. Frankly, if we look back, we might say, actually, we empowered them to move down this, this path more than, than not. Uh, I think the Hong Kong argument was just killed, the introduction of the national security law in Hong Kong in 2020. Uh, there's not much that I think the United States is going to do for Hong Kong right now, because Hong Kong is perceived to be part of China in a way that it was not perceived to that extent earlier. So. I think they're going to have a hard time arguing. They're going to argue, I think, just economics. That's all they can do. Hal, what's your sense? There are bills in both the House and the Senate, for our friends who are not completely familiar with the legislative process in the United States. Those bills are a bit different, the Senate bill and the House bills that have been introduced. They're both about revoking China's PNTR, MFN, call it what you will. If they pass, there would have to be a conference, and that would have to be voted on. How likely is it that this is going to happen, and if so, when? John, let's break it down into the House and the Senate, because uh, they're two very different bodies, and uh, their approach um, to this legislation could be different. Uh, in the House, I think it's a near certainty that the House will vote to revoke MFN um, for China. Um, they will probably do so uh, later this year or early next year. Um, one of the reasons of the timing would be to put as much pressure on uh, the, the president as possible in the heat of his reelection to uh, whether he would veto or, or sign that, that legislation. Now, in the Senate, you've got a slightly trickier proposition. The Democrats narrowly control the Senate, and no legislation will reach the floor of the Senate without the approval of the Senate Majority Leader, uh, Chuck Schumer of New York. As I have thought this through, uh, there are two questions. Are there 60 votes in the Senate to overcome a filibuster, pass the legislation? I think it's, it's very close. But the question is, would Schumer bring legislation to the floor of the Senate in an election year 
that could be potentially very troubling for a president of his own party. If the White House signals to Schumer, it's okay. I'm all in favor. I want to look tough. Um, so go ahead and bring it to the floor of the Senate, and I'll sign the legislation if it passes. Or hmm. if Biden doesn't want anything to do with it, I think he'll pass the word to Schumer, and Schumer will not bring the legislation up. Jeff, if you were today leading a delegation of AmCham leaders to Washington to testify, what would you do? The only thing you can do is argue economics, that this would be devastating to us economically. Uh, that's the only argument. But I think Hal makes a very good point. In an election year, there'll be a lot of pressure on Biden to sign. Mr. Schumer would probably listen to what he's being told out of the White House. But you may remember that Mr. Schumer's not been a big supporter of China. Over oh, the no. Years. no uh, not at and all. And so uh, I think he'd probably sit around saying, hmm, what am I going to do? Uh, but ultimately, I think Hal is right that if the White House really puts pressure on him, he'll, he'll, he'll turn. But it's, it's a, a fraught situation. Yeah, I agree with uh, Jeff completely. I think that the, the only argument uh, on the pro-MFN side at this point is, is jobs in the economy. And I'm not sure in this environment that, that even, even that argument would, would carry, carry the day. If I were asked to testify, which I might be, at a hearing on MFN, what would your advice be? If you were asked to testify, I, I think you would be put in a position of having to say, Mr. Cam, you are a human rights expert, arguably the foremost human rights uh, activist uh, in this area. You have were a proponent of MFN for China, maintaining it in the past. What can you say about China's human rights record since MFN, uh, since 1990? I guess it's a question of how you'd want to answer that, whether you'd want to testify. Hopefully it won't come to that, but I would take a very selfish position and say that if, in fact, I were to support revoking China's trading status, it would make my existing work uh, virtually impossible. Gentlemen, thank you so much for this a stimulating conversation. I'm sure the audience will find this uh, enthralling, as I have. Thank you for listening to this episode of John Cam Remembers, Encounters with China. To find out more about the Foundation, please visit duihua.org. To learn more about the topic of China's trade status and PNTR, follow the link in the description to our July-August newsletter.